from your local Houston BMW Center Studios. Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and welcoming on the phone, uh, I have from the Houston Health Museum, the marketing manager, Stephanie Wigington. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Um, You guys have got another incredible uh, exhibit that is happening uh, at the Houston Health Museum. And it is so timely, so timely with the world turning to AI and what I'm talking about. No, for you basketball folks, not Allen Iverson. I'm talking about (laughs) artificial intelligence. Um, The museum has an exhibition going on. It's called Artificial Intelligence, Your Mind and the Machine. And from what I'm reading, Stephanie, this is the first traveling uh, museum exhibition to focus on the reality and the relevance of artificial intelligence, yes? It is. Um, We actually had this exhibit in right before COVID hit, and I think we were up about three days. So we had to um, dismantle all of that, send it on its way. And so um, when we were able to get it back in, uh, we we just uh, put it back up at the end of May. So it'll be here through mid-September. So let me get this right. This particular <laughs> exhibit was there yes. right before COVID hit, and you all had it all of, you said, 19 days? And we we had it up. It takes about a week to a week to a week and a half to install, and I think we had it up for uh, about two or three days. Oh, two or three days. Okay, so yes. after setting up the exhibition and then yes. only having it up for two or maybe three days, COVID hit, and you had to take it down. And, of course, we all paused for the COVID. And now that we are back outside and and things are opening, it has returned. It has returned. Well, that's Um, that's good, though. No, it's great. It's a a great exhibit um, that really, like you were saying, it's very timely, really talks to all ages about uh, presenting the AI technology, um, hopefully in easy to understanding terms with also a lot of interactive things, brain teasers. Uh, there's a lot of the interactives show how you're doing it as the human and how your brain is, um, you know, getting it done, focusing on material, and then how the AI brain is doing it usually a lot quicker. Hmm. That is, this is so interesting. There's so much to unpack here because, you know, I guess when you, when you think of the human brain or you just think of the human body or just the way that humans operate, it's safe to say, or is it safe to say that our brain would be, let's say, the motherboard that is inside the computer? Would yes, that be a because cool analogy? someone... I would say um, somewhat because there is someone getting that information and technology to AI, um, but artificial intelligence also can teach itself how to learn more efficiently and quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And there's, as we know, artificial intelligence everywhere now. Some of the smart cars, one of our um, interactive exhibits is showing what 
a car, one of the smart cars, is looking at, what their triggers are, what they're looking at, how it's um, adjusting when it's driving to, you know, be the main driver of a car. Um, and it, it adjusts depending on the road, the speed, you know, the traffic, all of that sort of stuff around it. Mm, that is that is fascinating um, that you mentioned that because I often wondered what that would look like to the self-driving car and uh, if the quote-unquote driver of said self-driving car can see what the car itself is seeing and how it maneuvers and operates, you know, doing it itself while the driver uh, is hands-free. Uh, how, and I guess this is more of a personal question, um, how confident are you in AI? Or, 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 or let me not put it on you, Stephanie. Per your conversations with scientists and uh, maybe tech giant folks and, and whatnot, how confident are they in artificial intelligence and it um, being a major part of the future? They, I would say, like most of the people that we deal with in particular are already using it and advancing it. Um, you know, we do a lot with uh, the local medicine, the, the, the doctors, the hospitals, the research facilities, and they are, you know, they're using artificial intelligence every day. They're using it for um, some of the monitoring systems. They're using it even for some of the surgeries that are um, very precise and, um, taking less time to do that. Uh, so they're using it for automation. They're using it for data, um, you know, for even tasks. So we see it every day. I mean, we see it every day if you have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to that very point, um, the advancement of the artificial intelligence is definitely growing there used to be a time, I remember back in like 2016 and on my phone and I remember me and a friend, we were in New Orleans uh, just on a random weekend and I remember us, we were talking about, I forgot what it was in particular that we were uh, talking about, a certain product or something. And so then... She gets on Facebook, on the Facebook app, and the very thing that we were talking about, an ad for it, popped up in her phone. And so, you know, we thought that that was odd. And then the same thing happened again the next day, uh, talking about something else. I open up uh, Facebook, and I see that product that we were talking about being advertised on my Facebook. And we thought to ourselves, like, wow, like, this is wild. Um our phones are listening to us because clearly like I was like, I haven't, this app hasn't been opened. And so we were like, okay, the phones are listening to us. Fast forward to present day, July, 2022. Stephanie, now I can literally think <laughs> of a, of something, a, a shirt or, 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 or TV or a piece of jewelry or something that I'm thinking about purchasing or something that I need. I can just think about it, Stephanie, not verbalize it, not say it out loud. I can just think about it and I will open up Instagram and 
the fourth post is an advertisement for the very thing I was thinking about. Have it happen all day long. Like, we're just thinking about these things. And so it goes to show the advancement of artificial intelligence. And then um, I came across an article last week, or maybe about two weeks ago, where it talked about uh, get ready for supreme artificial intelligence. Are you familiar with supreme artificial intelligence? Uh, very basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too, just from the audit. No, I, and I was asking mm-hmm. to see if you could probably elaborate more. I guess my right. uh, interpretation of that would just be that it's just like, you know, super advanced AI than the regular AI. You know, it's kind of like how you got the regular kids in high school in regular class, and then, you know, you've got the accelerated students that are already taking, you know, college courses. That's right. how I kind of, you know, categorize the artificial right. intelligence with the supreme artificial intelligence, if you will. Well, we had a, a book club and we read a book and it was all about a different aspects of artificial intelligence in different, um, you know, there was one for uh, teaching, one for um, automotive, one for medical, you know, it just kind of hit different um, d- departments and different things that are people doing out there, engineering and things like that. And I think, um, you know, they started with AI in the medical part, in the health healthcare part, with having them um, read all of their information a little bit faster, better, more accurately uh, for people's, you know, results and their tests and the 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 percentage of what's going to happen with procedures and things like that. And they've moved to um, having you know, lasers and uh, arms come in for surgery that are very, very precise. And now I think, and, and in relation to what you're calling maybe supreme, I think it's just moving forward. Now they're developing things where that artificial intelligence would complete all of those tasks. So, you know, it's almost taking sometimes that human element out of it where that hasn't happened before. So that would be, you know, some of the things I've read, I think that that seems to be what you know, the way things are moving a little bit more. And yeah. the big question is who's comfortable with that and who's not. Like that's a little bit about what we explore here, you know, uh, uh, some questions like that, you right. know, if one question, you know, that that came, comes out is if you were having heart surgery and this machine could do it, you know, very precisely, very quickly with less, you know, intervention of your body, would you do that or would you still want to have that human interaction in the room, you know, in case something changed or something different happened while you were in there? So there's a lot of thought-provoking questions that come along with with AI and with our exhibit because um, it is such a you know, difference between the human thinking and reasoning and going through, you know, our thought process versus AI and getting comfortable with that AI part of it. Yeah, yeah, because to that very point, oh, let me do a reset before I get into that. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast. We're talking to Stephanie Wigington, the um, Stephanie Wigington, the marketing manager at the Houston Health Museum. Uh, currently, the exhibit that is happening right now through uh, September 5th 
is artificial intelligence, your mind and the machine. So um, to your point, to what we were just talking about and people being uh, comfortable with it and to the point of, you know, um, uh, the, the, the artificial intelligence or the robot performing, like, let's say, open heart surgery. I do. I think that a human should still be in there because AI cannot it cannot feel it doesn't it, it may be able to evoke emotion through its uh, vibrational frequency uh, through speech but AI can't feel. So saying that if something were to go wrong uh, in on that operating table and you can see that the patient is having some sort of reaction, but AI doesn't know that this reaction, you know, is happening or that uh, the, the pain is increasing or whatever the situation may be. It won't be able to pick that up from an uh, emotionally energetic uh, standpoint. So I think that, you know, another surgeon or a doctor or someone will have to um, control the machine to, to get it to stop if it can't recognize um, uh, uh, e- emotional trauma, if you will. I would I would say the same for me personally. I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with that machine, but I would like for sure some professional interaction. Um, you know, either overseeing it or, you right. know, adjusting things as it's in there. Um, you know, but that that's all. Luckily, I haven't been in that position to, <laughs> to have to use one of those uh, machines in any kind of, you know, medical uh, field instance. But um, they are also, what they say is they're so extremely precise and um, what they're doing, like whether it's stitching or whether it's going in for even arthroscopic surgery, um, just some things like that, you know. But at the moment, from what I know and the conversations we've had, you know, there still is that element of that doctor, that professional there guiding it. It's a tool that the doctor's using at this mm, a point. A tool. Okay. I, 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 I like that. Now, I like that explanation of it. It's, it's, it's a tool that the doctors are using to help advance the medicine. I like that because, you know, when, when I think about the Tesla robot, which is ready, and, you know, um, things like the artificial intelligence, uh, your mind and the machine exhibit, my mind just can't help to go back to that Will Smith movie, I, Robot, where, right. <laughs> where the robots are serving the people and then... After a while, it stops taking the command from the human and overriding everything that the human or its owner is telling it. And it just, you know, keeps going. And to even further that, um, you know, old, old movie that, you know, I uh, finally watched all the way through The Terminator. That's another mm-hmm. film that comes to mind. With the, Have you ever seen The Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. Yeah, that thing is so old. It came out in like 82. I was like, wow, I didn't know it came out back then. But just watching that and seeing how that machine, you know, kept going and going and it wouldn't stop until, you know, it it, 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 it found old girl to kill her. And it just, I mean, even down to its bare moment. I mean, I know I'm being, you know, I'm being facetious here. You know, of course, it's, it's, uh, 
it's all entertainment and television. So they want us to think, but they do put a lot of the, they do, they do tell a lot of what they're doing. Uh, they do put it in the shows and the, and, and, and the movies and whatnot. But, you know, right. just when I think about that total advancement, like my mind just goes to an iRobot or, uh, or a Terminator. It's just well, like, and if uh, the, the Terminator series, each next Terminator show, that, that robot, that artificial intelligence got even more so, like not like they could then morph into a different, you know, into a different, into yeah. a different person or a different object or all of a sudden they could, you know, be air and or smoke and come through. So every, with every show that AI kind of got more it got advanced. Better. It was more advanced. And when I, and so in a way that probably is what's happened, hopefully not that scary, but, right. um, you know, a little bit what's happening. And really, they take, you know, man-made uh, intelligence. Well, the first show that they ever did with that was Frankenstein. Um, the first little movie and the first experience yeah. with a man-made intelligence, yeah, a man-made uh, intelligence with, yeah. with the whole story of Frankenstein. You're right. You're right. And the, I don't know when that was, but that was a long yeah, I time know, ago. I know, right? And I Way went, before we were talking about it. What was the monster's name? I don't. Did the monster have a name? Like everybody. I called, think it was like Doctor Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Like yeah, Doctor yeah. Frankenstein was the doctor. <laughs> right. What was the name of the monster that he created? Right. And I do not know. I don't know. I, that's so random. Why. I don't know why that popped up. Anyway, <laughs> the exhibit, Artificial Intelligence: Your Mind and the Machine, happening at the Houston Health Museum now through September fifth interactive very interactive something that the entire family uh can enjoy and um with it returning after being shut down right when the pandemic hit uh it is back it is, this exhibit returns to Houston um and so just take take advantage of this opportunity um it sounds. I, I want to come. I want to come. I want to see. Um, what's one of your favorite exhibits there? Like one of the interactive things that uh, people can do when they come and see this. What's what's one that they you have? Want? Yeah, one of the ones that really is super interesting is the one that I was talking about a little earlier, where you're watching, you know, what a car is car looking one? at okay. as it, it's um, doing that, and then they have an art one where it takes everything in the room and adjusts its uh, finished product as people are moving around and it adjusts the paint and the lines and everything and it creates something different depending on the movement in the room. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, yeah, parents, take your kids down to the Health Museum to check this out. This is this is the way that the world is moving into artificial intelligence. Like it or not, uh, it's already here. I mean, and and you kind of already see it, right, Stephanie? You you you'll go to a McDonald's when you go inside. They just now have the kiosk where you order uh, the food, and in, and even in some of the more technological McDonald's, like you actually see the machines in the back frying the own fries, dipping it in the thing, putting it in the in in the in the plastic fry cup board, moving it up over you know, to the next side so we can get packaged and like, so it is here. <laughs> it's here. It's just how much will we, the humans, allow it to be involved in our lives? I think if we use it like Stephanie said, that the doctors do use it as a tool, it will be great. 
But if it's going to be like, if you're going to depend on it, it's a little tricky there. Any last words for the people, Stephanie? I would just say, you know, come out and learn a little bit more about it. It is everywhere out there right now, and we try to do a good job of explaining sort of the difference between human uh, thinking and machine thinking and learning and try to make it not so, you know, big and scary, but something that's a little bit more concrete and, you know, sort of part of the way things are going in the future. Yes, indeed. But keep in mind that the, the human will always reign supreme. <laughs> don't worry folks these robots are not going to take over us let's just go and we're going to go to the health museum and check out these great exhibits stephanie widgington marketing director for the health museum thank you for your time this was a good conversation i appreciate you being so open thank you great having it thank you indeed and to everyone listening to the podcast we'll be back after this From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and you have been uh, hearing us on all of the Radio 1 Houston brands, uh, 97.9 The Box, Praise 92.1, and Magic 102.1, about the summer service days at the Houston Food Bank. They have, uh, have partnered up with Chick-fil-A once again to bring that uh, but besides that, the Houston Food Bank has been feeding Houston for decades on decades. And on the phone line, I have the chief instructor at the Houston Food Bank. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, Mr. Paul Newman. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going good. I'm so glad to be here on the, on the radio with you guys and uh, talking to the community. Yes, indeed. Um Hunger uh, uh, has been an issue uh, in in the city, in this country, uh, in this world. And right now, Mr. Newman, it's even worse uh, because what is happening now is a manufactured food shortage. Right. Now, right. with everything else that the Houston Food Bank has done, even before the situation that we're in now, tell us how how you guys keep up with it and, 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 and what it's like, the demand of all of these hungry families and people uh, in the city and in this region that you all cover. How do you oh, do it? Oh, man. It's, it's, it's so many, but it's a collaboration of, of great minds and, and people uh, with the same passion, which is helping people. And uh, one of my mottos and, and, and mottos is uh, uh, teaching food knowledge to the community, which in, it, and it able, enables us to eat more things and better things for your body and to get out there for the people. At the food bank, we... Uh, serve 18 counties. You know, we have 1,600 partners, and we do about two uh, 270 mil, meals a year. Um, and we keep that up with that demand. Um, we always are looking for volunteers. We are in the middle of a stretch with food now. And so we have volunteers that come in that really helps us out. And so if you can uh, go to HoustonFoodBank.org and sign up for the services in the pantry near you, 
And, and uh, if you don't want to sign up online, then you can call the, the helpline, which is 832-369-9390. And uh, besides the food, you know, we have to get it out to the people, and we have to make it. So well, volunteers are part of how we get through in the community, too. And uh, I'm a chef instructor there. Um, I have this, uh, this is a community job program. And in the program, we, ha uh, we have a 10-week culinary training class for individuals experiencing barriers getting employment. And so we offer a host of skills, helping ideas to make successful, to make our, our clients successful. And we offer soft skills like resume writing, financial coaching. That's done by uh, our our talent development coach, which is Maddie. She's a wonderful person. And we have a 86% graduation rate. Uh, our employee, 80% are employed, and they make an average of $16 to $12 starting out. And that gets us, that gets us started <clears throat> uh, out the door. Uh, we also do uh, job training for second chance people, uh, people that are looking for job change, directions. We not only help you learn food knowledge, but we also help you develop uh, some of your skills and traits, work on your weaknesses, and sharpen those to help you get through to get a better job and, and reach a better industry. Um, and in saying that, I just recently took a position also, I've dedicated my life to service and serving the community and the food needs of I'm from uh, Acres Homes, which is uh, north side of Houston, and I went to Eisenhower. I uh, graduated from Eisenhower, went to Baltimore International Culinary College, and um, I've been cooking and, and cooking at St. Monica's Church off of West Montgomery in West New York. It's a church that I go to, and it's a large food bank. Uh, we have St. Vincent de Paul's over there, Knights of Peter, Clum Knights of Peter Claver, and the Ladies Auxiliary also. And so I've been involved with the community uh, all my life coming up with it. And then recently, I've taken a bigger role of uh, being the uh, president of the Texas Association, is a chapter of the Houston, of the um, American Culinary Federation, uh, where we are the found food authorities of Texas. And the TCA is comprised of 14 dynamic sub-chapters. Uh, uh, throughout the Houston and Texas area. Education, uh, compensation fund, networking, and mentoring professional advance is what we do. So we're looking to, I'm looking to expand the membership. So all chefs that are previous ACF members, uh, please, the headquarters now is at the Houston Food Bank off of uh, 535 Port Wall. Street. That's where my office is and my class is. Um, I also can be uh, uh, found on Facebook and LinkedIn also. And uh, my motto is, again, as a president of the Houston uh, ACF and TCF chapter, is to uh, promote uh, brotherhood within the, within the ACF and food knowledge throughout our community. Also, to bring us back together since the pandemic, we haven't really had a chance to come together. The numbers have went down. So we really want to say, hey, ACF is out here for the community and for each other. Uh, the food system and the food uh, problems that we're having 
are uh, a shock right now, but unfortunately, the make it worse before it gets better. So that's why I'm here now to try to bring chefs together so that we can all uh, share our knowledge and help each other get through this trying time. Uh, restaurant owners, uh, hotel chefs, uh, even um, at the stadiums, uh, employment, everything. So if we come together and put our heads together, we still can feed Houston and uh, be recession-free. So um, that's the start of what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And, uh, and you're doing yeah, it. So I'm, 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 re- I'm very to interested to know, though, Mr. Newman, like, how did you get involved with the Houston Food Bank, one, and then to um, offer your scholarship and knowledge of being a chef instructor to, you know, volunteer your time to teach other, you know, guys or people how to cook? Uh, well, I, I did it at a young age. My my uh, parents, loving parents, Sylvester and Pauline Newman, they've, uh, oh, God is, is so good for them being my parents. I, I couldn't ask for two better, more people. But I was a part of the Knights uh, uh, of Peter Claver, which is a Catholic black organization. And we did... We did we did a mandatory of um, uh, volunteering. So I grew up volunteering at the Houston Food Bank, and then I left Houston in ninety January ninety three to go to Baltimore, and I went to Baltimore International Culinary College, where I shared a love of cooking and and inspiration of cooking uh, with other students, and got a chance to work with a host of exciting uh, chefs like Chef Joe Randall. I went to school with Patrick Clark's cousin. Um, I got a chance to work with Chef Curtis and a lot of different chefs. And so uh, I think that was my goal the whole time was to get as much knowledge as I could and bring it back to Houston and spread food knowledge and and food, uh, you know, to let people in Acres Homes, in the surrounding areas and communities know. And that little boy or little girl that don't think that they can do that you can look at me and say, well, I started right here out of these streets volunteering, and that just carried on. And then the love for Houston and the love for the people here, I wanted to share my knowledge as much as I could. And what way to share better than people that maybe had some bumps in the road, barriers, and job employment, why, you know, so – we, we not only teach cooking, but we also uh, try to work with attitude, things like that. We dig down deep inside and see what your objective is and where you would like to be. And that objective and goal is my goal. And so helping people is something a part of my life, and I've, I've done that all my life. So I just uh, it, it, it comes from the heart, and it comes from the family and your background. And the soul, because like you said, it's just, it's in you. So it's definitely coming from within. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast. We're talking to chef instructor at the Houston Food Bank, Mr. Paul Newman. Uh, He oversees the program, offering second chances for offenders who would like to learn culinary skills and earn a certificate. Um, is that currently, are you still uh, accepting uh, enrollees yes, at this time? We're, yes, we're accepting students at this time for the next uh, semester, which is going to be the 1st of August. 
so you have time to call in and you we do interviews and we do a bar panel interview it's free and you receive a certificate this class uh will receive a certificate not only from the food bank but they will receive a certificate through the acf also so i'm so proud that my program is being accredited by the american culinary federation which is also going to help them i brought the american culinary federation into this because i wanted those students to leave this program and be able to continue their education without being able to go to a school and pay thousands of dollars so you can pay for your accreditation you get a certification uh, for the acf then if you want to become the exec sous chef, the sous chef, the executive chef, you can go back to the ACF, put in all your time and jobs, and then have take a test and get a certification to be that. And then that allows you to have the same degree as that $50,000 culinary student that paid for that degree from CIA or Johnson or Wales. So wow. it's just uh, an avenue where a student that's not fortunate enough to have the money and the finances to get there it's an avenue from them to get there, and my program is free, and then you would pay for the certifications to become whatever uh, accolades you want to go after that. But that's what my that's what I've designed for my program and for the people of Houston, my people that – and they've helped me just as much as I've helped people too. So it's just giving back to the community that I love. You know? Yeah, and you've been doing that. People, how can people uh, get in touch with you that are listening and, and want to participate in this? What should they do? Okay. Uh, if Again, you have the hotline to help, which is 832-369-9390. And then if you want to apply for the program uh, or get in touch with the program, you go to the um, you go to the food, the Houston Food Bank, and you click up under uh, community outreach, and up under there it's going to have the culinary program, and you're going to fill out an application. That application is going to come directly to us, and then the first person that's going to contact you will be Maddie, and she will get with you and make sure that you get an interview, and we're doing interviews right now as we speak. And we're taking them taking them now. If you want to call directly to try to get a uh, direct line to us, it's eight three two three six nine nine two six nine, and that will get you uh, directly to our department. So, um, but any anything else is on the website, and it's up under uh, uh, community outreach program, and you'll see the um, link for the corner program and you fill out fill out the application let us know about yourself we we go over the application a panel of us it's a board of us and then we pick the student that is most uh interested and eager to learn culinary college from uh from myself okay so that's 832-369-9390 that number is for which one again that's for the volunteers. Okay, that's the volunteer. volunteer. Okay. Yes, to help. Okay, Correct. that's for the volunteers. So 832-369-9390, that's the number that you call to volunteer. Um, and then the number for uh, the class is 832-369-9269. That's right. 832 
369-9269. That's the number you call to be uh, part of Mr. Newman's um, second chance uh, culinary skills class. And you can always log on to the website, HoustonFoodBank.org. That's HoustonFoodBank.org. Click on Community Outreach, and you'll see uh, all of the information there. Before we get out of here, Mr. Newman, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, um, y'all been feeding uh, the city and the region for decades on decades. We've been, uh, I've been warning my people about uh, the food shortages. I started doing that last year. Last year I started warning people about it because I know people who, uh, drive trucks and it works out, you know, on um, some of yeah. these ports and deal with the deal with the cargo ships. And I was telling yeah. people around like the spring of last year of 2021, like the shortages are coming. Like there are ships, yeah. there are cargo ships that are lined up in the Pacific, in the Gulf, yeah. out in the Atlantic, like just sitting there halting. My brother drives halting. trucks. I remember around this time mm-hmm. he was like, bro, he was like, something weird is going on. Like my, my load ain't never uh. been this light. They're telling me um, not to deliver certain stuff, certain places. Like they're putting us on hold. Like and these is coming from the higher ups. I can only imagine right. the whispers that is going on between your drivers over there at the Houston Food Bank and everything like the powers that be are manufacturing this food shortage and and now it, it right. it's starting to hit like what are they doing what's going on here you know i you know this is this is going to be something that we're going to have to go through sight unseen uh i did see it coming about a year ago uh because i i did work uh offshore uh sporadically uh before i came here and um this is going to be something that I think they put the gas on one on the right hand and nobody's really looking at the food, but you're going to have to look at the food because if you go in the grocery store now, some shelves are, are, are empty. Have been empty and they're not going to, that product may not come back, you know, and also some of these restaurants are closing because they can't keep up with the demand, the people, all the problems that they're having. Mm-hmm. And that's why I became the president of the local chapter TCA, uh, Texas Chef Association, and the ACF to bring the bring our chefs together, and to at least for us to put our heads together and be able to move forward, so that we can ease that pain a little bit, uh, a little bit better than what it is. Uh, we're going to need to rely on one another uh, at these upcoming months coming out, and uh, I just want everybody to know I'm here for the community. And I'm here for the people in the community, you know, and uh, I think that I think that some of these things uh, are just a part of life. We've gotten so used to going in and picking something off the shelf that we forgot that about the growers, the farmers, the people that are not there in the community today. I think that's got a big problem with mental illness. We're not eating the way our forefathers ate. For fathers, it off the land. Well, here, we're here. I'm about to wake it up because you know I speak truth to power, and I don't care because it's it's time for my peoples to wake up. I'm about to wake it up. See, they've been doing this for a while. Speaking of the farmers, right. the farmers, the black farmers, they've been coming in as and trying to buy out. The, the farmers in their crop, telling the farmers not to grow their crop, will right. pay you this right. to to not to grow, or just sell me your land 
outright. Like they have right. been doing this. Everybody was right. so up in arms about Elon Musk buying Twitter when he when when that news came out. And I'm like, and right. nobody has any questions as to why Bill Gates is buying up all of this farmland. Like he is the largest right. private owned farm. A landowner in the country. He owns land in 19 states. Right. And nobody is right. questioning that. Like, right. w- 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 why? Because so, so they can give us all GMO food. Nobody, it, 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 it's no, you got to ask yourself, how is it that all of these food plants are catching fire? You got chicken plants right. catching fire. You got, you know, all of this, like all of these plants are catching fire. You had, you know, all the, 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 the 10,000 cattle that just, up and died and where was that kansas or somewhere like all of this stuff is happening they're saying that there's certain chicken shortages i don't know what's going on with the chicken i don't understand how we got a shortage of wings but yet we got thighs and everything else like if it's if it's the whole chicken if y'all taking the whole chicken and cutting it up and selling the pieces how is one part a shortage and the rest of it ain't like what's really going on they exposing themselves mr newman but uh i just had to wake it up real quick everybody needs to start paying attention and ask the right questions but they got us too distracted on dumb stuff that people ain't even thinking critically uh, and asking the mm-hmm. right questions. Yeah. And then when you do think critically and ask the right questions, then you get questions as to, well, why are you asking these questions? Well, why not? Right, right, right. And part of the issue is back in the day, we used to go to the grocery store, go to the market. We ask questions. That's we right. would We would ask them to bring in product. Today, if it's not on the shelf, we turn around and walk out the grocery store. We're going to have to start being proactive as a community and tell these local grocery stores what we need and what we want in our grocery store and our community. You're right about Don't that. Don't send us what you have left over. Send I've never said this demand. publicly, but I'm about I'm, I'm I'm done with the grocery stores. I'm going to just go to uh, the low. No, I'm so for real. I'm going to just you know, go to a farmer's market and do it that way. Well, that's Be- why I try to, on my Facebook page, all the local farmers, there's a lot of, of, of African-American and, and different community ethnic groups that are going back to farming. They yeah, don't have I big want farms, to. I'm but they are going back to that. I'm sick of these seedless watermelons. Where are the seeds yeah. in my watermelon? I had to ask watermelon. the folks at H-E-B, right. like, where's the, where are the black <laughs> seeds in my watermelon? Like, this... Y'all keep giving me this GMO stuff. Like, no. Like, the one lady had, she was like, oh, these are some special blackberry, the Carolina sweet blackberries, especially made for H-E-B. I said, really, ma'am, especially made for H-E-B? I said, well, well, what kind of tree did these blackberries come from, and how long did it take this tree uh, to grow to produce this type of blackberry with this particular sweetness? She couldn't answer anything. I'm like, see, this is some GMO stuff, just like them grapes, the, the, them cotton candy grapes. Like, they're infusing stuff. Like, all of this stuff is fake, man. Don't get me started. But Mr. Paul Newman, the, yeah. <laughs> the chef instructor over at the Houston Food Bank. Man, thank you so much for your time, bro. Don't get me going. Thank I, you. I, I could go. I could go. I know that's right. I could and go. I have one comment. If I yes, sir. Could. Yes, sir. Before we get uh, out of here, yes. It's, it's, it's just a little shout out. And it's, it's two friends of mine, beautiful friends of mine. They just got engaged. They just got engaged. Just said yes uh, on Monday. And I want to give a special shout out to uh, Marcus and Destiny Houston. Uh, uh, Keep God first and put God first. But beautiful couple. They did it the right way, man. They they went 
been courting for six years. They knew each other. They are wholesome and ready to get married. And I just want to tell them congratulations. I'm so happy for you guys. And uh, keep God first and keep the haters at a distance, but pay attention to them. Okay. That's, that's beautiful. And, and, yes, and we're going to yes, leave yes. it right there on that note. Paul Newman, chef instructor at the Houston Food Bank. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And on behalf of Uncle Funky Larry Jones, I'm KG Smooth. And to everyone listening to the podcast, we will see you next week.